Thank you for joining us today at Minter Wargaming Labs. Today, we are joined by the team from the Duncan Rhodes Paint Academy, Duncan and the other guy, Roger, who rarely seen individual, much like uh, Bigfoot or the Yeti, has come down and decided to uh, bring to us his insights into the business. Gentlemen, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having us here. Yeah. Um, now, I, <laughs> I have... Well, this is I, nice. Don't... These people can see Roger's real. He says things. <laughs> well, I I think many people, when you spoke of Roger, is you could see like a uh, Gollum and Schmeagel or uh, Norman Bates and Mother. Like, was it Uh-oh. really just a skeleton behind the camera? Like, stop it, Roger! I'm trying. <laughs> but. One, I'll have to lead off here. Um, congratulations on your Kickstarter. When this comes out, will be the final day in your Kickstarter. And I think you could probably head down to the London Financial District, slap someone in a suit in the face and say, I moved three quarters of a million dollars worth of material. What have you done today? And say, <laughs> not a lot of people have achieved that. So excellent job. Thank you. Well, thank you very much. It was um, uh, quite the experience. Hey, Raj. Yeah, yeah. It's... Um... Um, we got to say a big thank you to the, the team at uh, Transatlantis Games, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, they've done loads of the hard work, you know, Peter and um, Andy and Bob and Ian and them and the rest of the guys are going to be packing it, you know, once it starts. So good job, guys. Did did you, Roger, did you make the video? Um, the, on the Kickstarter at the top, there's a video showing yes. the new pit. You made that? Yeah, for a couple of hours. Thank you. Oh, no, yeah. that, you know, take the kit, the how to trans the vibrancies of the color as they come off the brush onto the model to really translate like this is a 2d medium but this is a three-dimensional object i'm trying to translate there very excellent job on editing that video together and and we want to talk about that because i think for a lot of people who try to capture and catalog their work and onto video that is a special talent all its own besides just painting but before we get into that Las Vegas Open, both of you uh-huh. did attend um, yes. and did go there. Just let's open up. What were your initial thoughts and impressions of traveling out to Las Vegas? Was it your first time? <laughs> well, it was for me. Uh, not for Roger, though. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> he, he was warning me of the experience of, of what to expect. Um, be prepared for lots of walking. And I'm like, oh, yeah, whatever. Um Day and a half in, I was really regretting not wearing walking boots. <laughs> we got a bit messed up, didn't we? We did, yeah. It's, um, you don't realize how big the strip is, you know, um, until you've walked it. And you realize, whoo, <laughs> I can't see the other side. It's mm. taking me 10 minutes to walk past Caesar's Palace. It's so big, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really good. So the LVO was at the Rio. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's off strip. There. Yes. Now I always have to ask people, did you make the trip from the airport to the Rio in broad daylight? <laughs> and and uh, to just I, I think a lot of people when they picture Vegas, you see the strip. Yes. And then what life is like when you step beyond the strip. Like you go past that one block deep. And it, it's a different world. We did well, yeah, hundred percent. So when we arrived, as we were invited by Frontline Gaming, um who asked us to come along and do some painting and things. And um, they then very kindly arranged for a limo to pick us up. Now, I've never been in a limo before, so this was awesome. But it was like nighttime, but of course Vegas lights up at night. So it was all these 
crazy lights and things everywhere. But we didn't really see beyond it until, um, well, you know, daylight comes along. And we did experience a bit of it off the beaten path, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. We, did, we walked from the from the Rio to the Strip. To You, you know, did that? Palace. Mm. Oh, yeah. are, you, are you kidding me? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, <we> <laughs> England is what we do. <laughs> that That is... That is a thought that has never crossed my mind. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, I, I was married in Vegas, so I haven't been there for uh, 20 years. So uh, uh, that, we, we, uh, did see, we, we saw a bunch of the uh, the little chapels. In fact, there were was a couple getting married in the Rio yeah. one time, wasn't there? Yeah, it was. Yeah. We, were, <laughs> we were looking for somewhere to eat. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we, we experienced a little bit of it. We wanted to see um, some places and things, you know, like, uh, well, we uh, wanted to see a shooting range, didn't we? Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. I'm sorry. Every every <laughs> every non-American podcast, whenever they talk about going to the to the United States, it's always, hey, you know, we can get a bunch of guns. It's like, oh my god, that's <laughs> that's the first thing people think of us. Yeah, well, it's 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 just not like that around here. So it's such a um, an unusual thing. You take the opportunity, don't you, Raj? So yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah. It was good fun. <laughs> yeah, it was. Oh. So since uh, Frontline Gaming brought you over, what was the exchange? What what did they have you doing while you were at LPO? Um, well, first thing was they had both of us there, which is really cool because we got to be there as a team. And our main thing being there was doing painting demonstrations. So we had a number of classes where um, we'd have a given subject and we'd have a bunch of models and things and we'd have our paints there. And... Um, People could use our paints because they might have used them yet and have a go with them. But also we'd be teaching them particular techniques and things. Um, and uh, I think it was, a, it was a really positive experience doing that sort of thing. But at the same time, um, they were really keen to make sure that we enjoyed ourselves. So yeah. um, they offered to let me play in the Ice and Fire tournament. Um, as it turns out, I managed to get one game. I only got the time for one. Uh, but it was really good fun. And um, we also got to do some judging as well. And we got to meet a whole load of people who we, we'd spoken to online before hadn't we roger yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. I, th I think the best part was um probably meeting you know academy members and hmm. or people that have watched um our old games workshop videos and stuff like that we did all those years ago and you know saying oh you, you you know you taught us how to how to paint or you pointed us in the right direction and that was that was that was nice wasn't it hmm. i think just to meet those people probably hmm. the best parts i think yeah, how, how large yeah. were how many people were in your seminars so were those, I know there were tickets for them, but were those for sale or mm -hmm. how, how large of a seminar was it? Um, so we had, the, it was around about 13 or 14 people, wasn't it, right? Yeah, yeah. We'd get coming yeah, in. Yeah, 13 plus. Yeah, and they'd go on for three hours or so, so it was quite a long session. Um, and that was um, hosted by, uh, you know, uh, Frontline Gaming were doing that. So it wasn't, uh, we weren't necessarily being paid for doing that. It was like all as part of the event. Um it was the uh, uh, the invitation, the experience. I think was like what we were mostly interested in. I think you yeah. know, as, as part of that arrangement of things, and just being able to interact with people in that one to one basis. Um, we always find that um, it's you, it's a really great experience when you actually sat there with someone directly showing them what to do. And it, I mean, it's, it's something I got to experience a bit with Games Workshop back when they turned me to things like Adept kind of things. But this was great because both of us were there. Um, so we were both giving our inputs on things, weren't we? Yeah. Um, I, I think as well it was, um, it, it's, it was the first US trip we've been able to do as the academy, because obviously when we both left Games Workshop to start this venture, 
um, COVID broke out not long afterwards. So, you know, that scuppered our plans for, for a, a couple of years to actually go over to the US and, um, you know, do an event and, and meet people over there. So it was nice to actually, you know, three years later to be able to do that. Now, is this the first in many US trips or was this kind of a one-off or <laughs> depending on sponsorship? Oh, it was more of a question of time. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that's the thing. Because we have, a, well, I, I suppose we'll get into this later, but Roger and I have quite a packed schedule, don't we? Um, yeah. And if we want to go and do a show, then we've got to work around it. And if that show happens to be in the US, then, uh, I mean, it's a day to travel there. And then we've got to acclimatize a bit if we want, if we're actually going to be doing any painting or anything like that. You know, if you're jet lagged, you're not going to be giving your best. So we want to get over that. And there's a show itself, and then we've got to come back, and then we got to, you know, settle back in because coming back, the jet lag always hits me worse. For some reason, Roger was invincible against it this time <laughs> when we came back. I was a mess last week. <laughs> but, but believe me, I did notice the like, when was the last video they put up? And I like to say, oh, okay, that's LVO right there. You can see yeah. it there. Um, so you had the judging, you got to play a game, and I and I will bring up that last time we spoke. You commented that you had a Lannister army, but I noticed the the right honorable gentleman from Nottinghamshire brought uh, Nightwatch instead of <laughs> Lannister. <laughs> yeah, well, it was a, a bit of a necessity, uh, really, because I enjoy playing my Lannisters because of all the you know the dirty t- tricks and tactics they can do. Um, it's part of the fun of playing them, being able to mess up your opponent's morale and pay off their troops and all that sort of thing. Um, but because we were doing these painting demonstrations, um, what we wanted to do was make sure that people could follow along in a, a given pace before using their own miniatures for things. Um, so that meant we had to provide a whole load of models and this takes up suitcase space. Um, there's also all the gear I had to bring along to do my painting. So it became a case of, um, I can't really fit my Lannister army in because um, the size of case it would go in would just be too big for hand luggage and no one wanted to get damaged inside. Mm. My suitcase. Okay. So the, the Night's Watch set on the other hand um, was really good because the army's quite elite, meaning that starter box where, you know, Cool Mini and Not got this classic style where the box has it's almost like a figure case for your miniatures when you get it. So there's slots for everything um, and all the cards and stuff. So it meant I could just take that box and have a army that was big enough for a tournament and also not a bad army either because Night's Watch are actually pretty good. Um, it did mean that it was the first time I was playing with them in this edition of the rules, though, which meant that there was a lot of moving pieces to keep my head around. So in the end, I was like, eh, all these rules, whatever, charge, <laughs> get in there. <laughs> and it worked all right for a while. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, that's mainly why I took them. Um, I actually painted that army during the lockdown of COVID, and I only played with it once before then. Um, so it was nice to get it out of the table and see what it could do. Well, it was nice to actually see that you had time to play a game because i remember when i ran into it nova open uh i think the work schedule they gave you i think that's illegal in this country just <laughs> uh, uh yeah there was a lot the, the shame about it so the, the, it was great in that i got to help loads of people with their painting and that's what roger and i are all about you know it's um we just want people to be able to um see those models and you'll not just wish that they could paint them but actually be able to learn to do it because anyone can really and so being at those um events allowed me to do that a lot um on the other hand i was doing so many of them i didn't really get to see the show so i'd be at nova but i didn't really see any of nova i was just basically in a room for the whole thing um 
And it would mean that you get tired after a while and you stop giving your best. And so it was nice at this one that it was a bit more broken up and also that we were both there. So um, having someone to support you doing these kind of classes is a massive weight of your shoulders because they can help you handle things, you know, and they can talk to people, they can give advice and things. And because Roger and I have been doing this so long together, Roger, Roger basically knows all the all the stuff as I do because I say it all the time and he not only has to listen to it as I'm saying it um in the rehearsal and then the actual take but also in the edit he has to listen to it and then he has to review the edit where he listens to it all again so <laughs> I think he's about as well versed in all of this as I am um, so that was really cool that you know both us being there we could have that support in that way um so I think um, it meant that obviously less people came along to these classes, but it meant that I think there was a bit more breathing room. And yeah, and it was nice to see a game and actually you know go around and talk to people and things. So yeah, so I, I had a really good time. I really enjoyed it. Now, Roger, did you record any of the seminars? No, 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 no. Okay. We, um, yeah, I don't know we, if that we, would be a new we, format, but then that comes the challenge of how do you record Duncan moving about 15 yeah. people it's the way we kind of decided to do the the classes is um do like an overall presentation describe what you're doing and everything like that and get people going and then just go to each individual person and then help them with their specific army or their specific challenge that they want to get something from with that and we just found that at worst because there's there's nothing better i think than almost one-on-one -on -one tuition like that with you know um someone like Dunk standing over you and just giving you advice on on painting. You know, he's been doing it a long time and he knows what he's on about with it, especially teaching. So, you know, I think people came away with that, which was nice, you know, because if you've got a really big class, you can't really do that. But if you've got, you know, 15 odd people there, there's more than enough time to go around and um, just help people, you know. They might have a question or they might want to show something. And when you can actually put a brush to a miniature and you can see what they're doing wrong, you can point out where they might want to look at to improve or, you know, just something simple like that could be, holding the miniature wrong in their hand. It could be moving the brush around the miniature. I mean, and the, the miniature around the brush, sorry, not the brush around the miniature, for instance, just little things like that. So, you know, that that was that was nice. And I think people were quite surprised at that. Uh, it wasn't just someone standing in front of the, you know, classroom giving a lecture. It was just getting, getting really stuck in and helping individuals and, you know, uh, moving around and all that. So it was quite nice. Well, that's, I think when I've seen people record seminars before, it relies on the host standing out front by the big screen and demonstrating the process but as you said duncan moves around yeah. so trying to capture that unless you're going to like give him a gopro and like try yes. to edit that in <laughs> to wide shots uh, i mean I, I guess if he was doing a tedx talk or something like that then it'd be easy enough but um just the nature of of it and you know you, you want to show the paint getting applied to the miniature properly and all that kind of stuff um so, you know, we, we took photographs and things like that we can probably use for, you know, the website or for any kind of promo stuff. But, you know, to, to try and film one of those seminars, it's, you know, by myself, it's just, it's too difficult. Um, and, you know, we don't want to get in the way of, of people who've um, paid money to come to a, a, one, a, a, a one of these seminars to, you know, to be taught by Duncan how to improve their painting or to help them or whatever. So we just want, you know, it's for them. So it's important for us that, so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, we're both like definitely agree with that sort of thing because you know, if if I was just sat at the front of the room painting a thing and explaining what I'm doing and everyone's just sat there, you know, doing the best to follow along, um, 
there's something a bit intangible that's missed. Like, so for example, a frequent thing I was finding, I'm just going to steal one of my wife's miniatures here and this here pen can represent a paintbrush. You know, just the way you hold it, like people would be holding both their hands floating around, but if you're actually just bracing your hands together, suddenly you get much more control. And just being able to um, have watched someone painting and identify that and just go, let me just move your hands. All right, hold it like that and go. And all of a sudden they realize they're being more accurate. Oh, like so. It's you know that that moment's really special, and so we were there more for that reason. I think that's right to say, isn't it? Um, Rather than um, me just showing off painting for a few hours. (laughs) Okay. Now, one of the other things that was advertised when we were there was judging that you were going to be judging um, some of the paintings that you competed. How did that go? Have you ever done judging before? Um, Yeah, I do. Usually when I go to some kind of event or something um, these days, I'll get asked to judge a, a painting contest, which um, is, is always a bit it's a bit intimidating. Um, it, it's quite an honour, frankly. I mean, I'm not um, I'm not a competitive painter, am I, Raj? It, no. It's just it's just not a thing that really interests me. But I can understand why people are into that um, that aspect of the hobby. Um, so um, I'm aware that it's an incredible amount of skill being displayed and so you've got to respect as best you can so that's how i mean that's intimidating because you know you see these models and it's like man these are these are unbelievable how did they do that um so you want to uh give that as much respect as possible um also it's uh i i i would prefer judging a contest to being in it um because again being in a contest isn't really my thing so uh i'd rather just stay out of it <laughs> especially <laughs> these days um it, uh, it can be a bit of an entanglement for me to be in a painting contest like no matter what happens. well um, isn't that the no lose no win proposition exactly yeah. exactly yeah if i win it everyone rolls their eyes and if i don't everyone's like <gasps> and you know the reality is that it's just not the sort of thing i pursue so i i feel like i'm just wasting a spot in the competition really. but um but it it's um a difficult thing i always um i much prefer doing judging if i'm just one of a number of judges um mm. because you want to bounce thoughts and opinions and things off people so i mean we do a, a contest in the academy every month don't we rog yeah and this is a thing where um it's not just me judging it both roger and i will do it because we'll have different opinions on things and through our debates about it we find what we think is a more fair result um so the great thing at Nova was that the uh, Age of Sigma and the 40k um, painting competitions I was asked to do were like that, where it was a bit of a debate between the, the judges. So um, it meant that I can offer my opinions and things, um, but then other people will see things that I'm not aware of or hear little bits or details that I simply didn't spot. Um, so I think it was really well done. I especially thought the way the Age of Sigma one was done was really good um, in that we were allowed to rank our top six scoring them between one and six points so six being the best right and they use that to tally up um their order and then just went over that to make sure they're happy with it and then went from there now what was the lighting like there because i have found in like nova open in 2019 there were different painting competitions mm. and there were different rooms and the lighting was there um mm. it varies there so certain models are painted with by a painter in a room with certain light source on there. And if you change anything of that, it can hide certain details or bring out others. So 
I, I wanted to bring this up for my local stores going to hold a paint competition. It's like buy a model here. We have two divisions, big, little, bring your models in um, and we'll judge them. But, you know, for a professional event, a larger event, there's different divisions, um, which can either be by age, size of model, skill level, but you're also relying on the venue providing, like, is this a fair way to get judged out there? Am I in a broom closet off to the side here in like the dark and you're not really seeing everything or am I under um, LED lighting? Um, what, what were the different categories at LVO and how did you find the judging there? What, what were they looking for? So for the 40k Age of Sigma one, the, the contest was simply the best army and they would rank them okay. you know, between one and 10. Um, I did the Ice and Fire one as well, which broke it down into some smaller groups, but um, there wasn't that many entrants on that. So that was quite a simple task, really. And just, you know, looking at the models together, basically. Um, I think when it comes to lighting issues, um, so the both 40k Age of Sigma ones were judged in the same area so the lighting conditions were even across all the miniatures and on both days you know both were split the same sort of way and the lighting was good i would say it was better than it was at the hotel for nova um i think um so there is truth when it comes to um competitions and i've seen this with um like years ago when i'd go along to doubles tournaments when it comes to you're nominated for best army and all the people want to get their armies in the cabinets. There's a little bit of a, a battle to get your army there first. So in the game, right before the judging's done, it's like, right, get your army killed as quick as possible so you can pack up, take it over, and get the best shelf with the best lighting. But um, I think um, when judging's done properly and it's approached, um, I mean, uh, professional seems a bit of an odd word to use, but I suppose it's kind of with that sort of mindset, you know, trying to take it seriously and show it respect then you've got to be aware that the lighting can cause differences on things. And um, I mean, you used to see that with Golden Demon judges at game stays. They'd make sure the models were taken out separately to be viewed and things. So everything could be looked at in its best light rather than just it being in shadow and going, oh, whatever. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I could say, I think competent judges are aware of this kind of thing and take it into account. Yeah. I So I competed in two Golden Demons and I just started painting. I figured you got to be in it to win it. Until 2011, right. well, 2011, a guy brought to the Baltimore Convention Center a hand-painted, it was like one of those uh, Eastern Orthodox, like Madonna and Child on a banner of a demon lord. And it was actually in like the White Dwarf later. And I looked at it and he's, the guy said, I spent two years hand, freehand painting that icon. And I was like, no, I'm out. I'm never. No, I... <laughs> My, my salamanders are not competing with that. I'm, I'm done. <laughs> I'll, I'll leave this to you guys there. But, you know, that comes in an issue of like, some of me, better than average, not great, but I'll never go to LVO compete because I know there's a standard above that and I'm just not willing to put that time in. So I know there's like the youth leagues. So like, you know, hey, little kids, you don't have to compete with a crystal brush winner, but... Do you see the I think if there's values for like the mid-tier out there for like different quality levels of like, hey, if you're this good, you shouldn't be competing with these people. You should be in this level. Um, I think so. And um so it, it's always a good idea if you if you're looking to push yourself and you want to uh, you, you find that you need a goal to do something. 
Um, then having a competition, they want to make a good showing in and get, at least get to things like round two or runner-up pin or something like that. And that's a really good goal for it. And yeah, the top tier of it is extremely competitive, especially in the big events. But then you don't have to go for the big events, really. You know, there's lots of smaller ones. Also, if you go for army painting competitions, the standard of painting isn't necessarily eye-wateringly high across everything. Um because it's more of a composition piece. And so the skill in doing an army is doing the collective of it as opposed to the single thing. Um, that, I think, is a different discipline that rewards strong willpower um, rather than that individual focus, because to get everything to a high standard, even if it's not the highest, is difficult. Um, and uh, Would you agree on that, Raj? I think so. I um... I find I find the high high in painting uh, fascinating because I think it's a it's a phenomenal aspect of the painting hobby that you know there's people out there that have taken it to a whole new art form. Um, you know we've seen some that have just they are literally all works of art. Um, you, know, you mentioned that that uh, Madonna and baby type of thing on the banner. Now we've seen elements like that over an entire um, Titan. You know, and it's it's just taking these guys, you know, months and months to paint. But I think, you know, and that's their hobby. And I think, you know, it's it's fantastic that you can get such a wide range in, in painting from the high-end guys to people that just want to stick some contrast paint on and and build up a nice big competitive force. Um and you know, I love I love the fact that there is that wide um aspect of the hobby there. Um as for like you're talking about the intermediate painting ones, um, it's an interesting idea. I think it's just hard to how would you implement that without somebody who might not be a high end painter, but's above that trying to come trying to come into the lower levels to try and you know dominate that. So it's it's quite difficult. Um, yeah, it's it's. I mean, I, I think it's just pure joy to you know to see um, all these wonderfully painted armies out there, and and for what we do, um, you know, teaching people how to paint, and then it, you know, it's, it's we've often met people we've started them on their journey, and then they they go and they seek more. Um, they look for more knowledge. They, you know, they look out to improve on themselves and take themselves to a really high standard. And I think that's, you know, it's rewarding to see that. You know, so you're always learning something new as well. I think, like, how on earth did you do that? <laughs> so, going forward, like, if a venue ever wanted you to come someplace and as a duo, um, come out, is there like a something you're looking for before you go to an event, like? I need a limo, 71 degrees inside the cat, a bowl of green M&Ms. Roger needs 800 count Egyptian cotton sheets. <laughs> he's on to us, Dunk. He's, uh, yeah, he's figured us out. Uh, uh -oh. go. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. Woo! That's all, yeah. Small requirements, really. Massive entourage, huge suite. Um, I, I don't think... Um, so, the, so the only thing that I think... And if anyone wants to approach us about asking us to go along things, I think the only thing they have to understand is that um, for us, the biggest price on it is the time taken out of our schedule for creating our normal things. Because as I mentioned with um, going to LBO, it basically took two weeks out of our filming time. And this is a lot of content that we can create during that time. And so it means it's essentially a blank for video. So we have to work to cover that and things and still provide content during the course of this. Um, so if we're going to go to an event, um, we want to know that it's going to be worth that in terms of um, our interactions with the people there. And our LVO 
certainly was because we got to do these painting classes with all these one-on-one -on -one interactions with people. We got to see loads of people around the event. We got to meet academy members and things and have all these really cool moments that just become memories that you'll remember forever. Um, so, I mean, like, for example, I was going around with um, some of the frontline gaming crew and they were, they were doing some filming, some little shots of games being played and stuff. And they were just asking for my, you know, my comments and stuff on it. And we all decide, all right, let's go and find the, the friendly 40K narrative event that's going on. We're looking around. And we see some people who are playing 40k. So I just tap one on the shoulder who's playing one of those ultramarines and stuff. Like, excuse me, really sorry to bother your game. Uh, is this the 40k friendly? And if not, could you point towards it? And he's like, um, no, this is actually this uh, part of the tournament stuff. Like oh, you're Duncan. Oh my God. And it was a dude who um, he had this ultramarines army that he painted following our videos that we've done over the years. And he had a Marnier's Calga that he was like, it was his proudest model that he painted following a video that we'd made and he was just like <laughs> he was just like oh, blown away that i just suddenly turned a bit shoulder and asking for directions <laughs> <laughs> so and, and then he came along to one of our classes later and we we're giving advice on how to fine-tune painting his ultramarines and what to do and how he could go back and adjust things and stuff like that so um this is what i mean in that that interaction is a magic moment that he's going to remember forever and we're going to remember forever so um making people's hobby more enjoyment i think is kind of like the the thing that we want to do. So if we're going to be taking time out of our schedule, we've got to be doing that still. Um, does that well, make sense? I, yeah. Well, <laughs> I think it's the idea of similar to like a band. Do you want studio time cutting the next album or do you want to be on tour? Mm. Um, so that's why I was asking if you were filming any of this stuff um, while you were at LVO, because that would fill the time slots on your channel and your academy with content because you're right. When you go to some of your, your YouTube channel, you can see the LVO uh, spot right there. But as a business, what's more important going out and getting generating a hyper precise fan event? So holding a concert, basically, mm -hmm. like you're out of the studio, you're holding a concert at LVO, but you're right. There's a cost of that booth time. You're losing that mm -hmm. there. Um, so now I think organically flow into this um since we have roger here that dynamic between you two of how the academy works because i think there's a lot of people out there who say you know i'm paying i can paint i've got a iphone let me show people how i paint um but there is a whole back-end infrastructure behind you duncan and that's where roger fills in and mm -hmm. When you actually try to like work with cameras and the optic lenses on cameras and editing software, that's its own art form that I don't think gets appreciated when people start down this journey. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I agree 100%. So the, uh, the, the lament of Dunk for the last um, <coughs> more than 10 years now has been um, people coming up to me um, and saying, hey, Duncan, that thing you just made is amazing. It's really cool. It's done all this stuff. And Roger's been stood right there next to me. And no one has any idea. Right? Roger is um, a phenomenal part of um, everything that we've got. And frankly, how crazy my life has become. Um, right. So, <laughs> but it's but it's true, right? Because um, I like my my thing. All I, I really wanted to do with all of this sort of thing was basically just teach people how to paint their miniatures and help them enjoy them and stuff. And I just kind of got lucky in that I kept being able to do this on larger platforms as I you know got a job in the studio and things because it's what I used to love doing in retail back when I was younger. Um, and 
Roger and I just happened to be working together on a thing. And I think he understood that that core thing is something that people would enjoy on a larger basis. And he had all the ability to understand how everything around it that's required for that to get out there. Um, he, he knew what he could do to create that. And off he went. And yeah, so <laughs> yeah. So Roger, how, how easy is it to do what you do? Because <laughs> I don't think it's easy at all. <laughs> it's easier now because we made hundreds and hundreds and hundreds but in the beginning it was um it was quite challenging if i remember correctly you know um we, we were we were quite fortunate in games workshop days that they um were also building an audio studio so we couldn't record anything at the time because obviously the noise of construction and stuff so um i was lucky enough that i had this idea to do painting videos and stuff like that and we sold it off and the management were like, oh, sounds great. Let's do it, do a test. And we did a test and, you know, very, very rudimentary, very basic, but people could see the potential for it. Um, and then they were, you know, kind enough to give us another go. And, you know, Duncan and I did. And then eventually it created, it was got all of them very excited because they could see the potential, um, which is what we wanted. We wanted to, you know, teach people how to paint. You know, if you, if you spend a large amount of money on a, on a miniature or something like that, um, especially the bigger models or, you know, your, your battle force or your army set, whatever you want to be able to paint it. So, you know, you're selling the paints as a business games workshop at the time, you're selling the brushes, you're selling the models. You just need someone to show you how to use it. And, you know, there's a lot of people who weren't a hundred percent sure how to use it. And, you know, the guys in retail have a very difficult job in that they, they got to sell stuff. They've got to teach people. They've got a game. They've got to do all intro games, all these different things. So if we can do something to help that and alleviate that and teach people how to paint and, you know, break down that barrier of, of painting a miniature, then, you know, it, it's, we, we've done our job and that's what we aim to do. And um was lucky, you know, because Duncan and I got on like a house on fire, really, Um, you know, from the very first video we made, we both had a, a single idea of what we wanted. We knew what we wanted the videos to do. And, you know, our, our manager at the time bought into that to his credit and he was like, all right, guys, go for it. And, and we did from then on. All right. So let me ask you, you're not... When most people start this on YouTube or Instagram, they're using iPhones. I can tell by looking at your video, you're not using those types of cameras. No. So you you have at least two cameras. Three. Uh, okay. So you do have three, three cameras there. So that that saves on repositioning there. Yes. Um, okay. Uh, my, what type, my, what type sorry, of cameras my, are you using? Uh, I, I like to use Fuji. Okay. Fuji DSLRs. Um, my philosophy behind it and always has been is about trying to get efficiency because um, you've only got a certain amount of time. So, you know, we have to always remember that we're trying to create an educational video, you know, not necessarily entertainment. We want to teach people how to paint. Um, so we have, everything has to be clear and concise and, and nothing must get in the way of showing people how to paint because that's what we want to do. Um, so everything just has to be, you know, as simple as possible. I'm um, going to get that miniature, especially the shot where we show the miniature getting painted. That has to be, that's your money shot effectively every single time you put paint on a miniature because that's what people want to learn. Um, and then we have our top-down camera, which shows what's happening on the palette. And then of course we've got dunk because you want to see who you, you know, who you talk, who's talking to you and um, things like that and introduce it and be that friendly face behind it. So if, if I figured out very early on, I have a background in back, back in South Africa and stuff. I worked in um, television and, and film for a while, um, went to film school and stuff and then did that for a while before I moved over to the UK. And um, I understood how to do 
um, sporting events, you know, and things like that. How to do multi-camera stuff. So I just applied that to this because I knew I could easily, quickly cut it very, very easily and quickly um, if I shot everything live. Um, and it's one of the reasons why, I, you know, we don't, Duncan and I will rehearse quite a lot before we even roll any cameras because more often than not, you've only got one shot to get it right. You know, once you put paint on in a certain stage, in the early stages, you can get away with doing a retake. You know, but once you've edge highlighted and you, <laughs> you're, you're halfway <laughs> through, there's there's no going back. So, you know, I just want Dunk to be happy that he's confident in what he's going to do and speak. And, and we like, so we've been doing this for so long. So it's just such a well-oiled machine. Um, but yeah, we just want to make sure that what we're showing people is 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 clear, clear and concise and, and they can learn from it. How long did it take you to train Duncan not to drift his hands at the model? Because uh, like, um, keep your arms there. Uh, <laughs> See the we, model. We tried, drift we, 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 we tried a few things in the early days when we were experimenting. Um, I mean, we had marks on the table. Um, we even had a, a, a boom arm going ahead and we dropped like a plumber's weight ahead. So it would be just in the camera so his head wouldn't drift in. Um, we're just doing different things like that. Um, but eventually, it's just muscle memory. Uh, the, the hardest part was keeping the miniature in focus. Because if you use an autofocus feature, as you'll know, if, the, if it hasn't got anything to focus on, it focuses on the background, so it pulls there. So when you lift something up, the camera's got to then find the focus, right? Yes. That's um, so why you'll see some YouTubers will put their hand down and put the miniature in front of that just to get it to grab. Um, because if they don't, the cameras, most cameras do struggle to find it. Autofocus is not the greatest feature. It, it's good, it's really good, but it's not 100% reliable, um, even with facial recognition and that type of stuff. Um, if anything resembles a kind of a face, it can always grab on. Um, and we even had difficulty with that in our old studio where, if anyone remembers last year when we first started, we had wooden beams going across. And there were these three knots in the wood it almost looked like eyes and a nose. And every now and then the camera will pull from Duncan and focus on that because it thought it was a face. So <laughs> yeah, it's just little things like that. Um, but you've got a very narrow depth of field when you zoomed in on anything. Um, so you've got to throw as much light as possible. And so you can open you can open the aperture to let as much to, to not allow as much light in um, so that you can get a wider depth of field. If that makes sense. Yeah. So yeah, because so I've run F22 in. and things like that. So you, you, your your aperture's really small, to, but you've got to throw a lot of light on in order to get a bigger depth of field, which then gives Duncan the, a space to be able to move. And then I don't have to sweat bullets hoping that because <laughs> that, that shot's in focus. Because if it's not, then you know it can cause us all kinds of problem and delay us by half a day. Well, Duncan has to re-go and retouch up and do a, a, a model up to the point so we can reshoot it. So. Yeah, but we've got it nailed now. So we well, that, that's why I don't think people realize your importance to the process. So I've done painting videos for YouTube and they're not actually for anybody else. If anyone wants to look at them, they're fine. It's actually more of a log. So when I write, I can write down the paints I used. And when, if I ever have to go make more of a certain squad, it's like, I put a black glaze, but how exactly did I use that? What brush? So it's a log book for me. And yeah. if anyone wants to use it, but that is the thing you find is you cannot watch what you're doing when you're painting a miniature and watch what the camera's doing. So there's periods of there where like my miniature's not even on the screen anymore because I'm trying to do something. So it's like to do this effectively, you need a second guy. There, there's got to be someone else there who's 
not the artist who's watching the other part, like what's going on in the show. And, um, and that's why I said, there's no way you're using iPhones, just watching your depth of field and the clarity on some of the colors there. It's like, you've got something else that you're using that yeah. that can manage the aperture and the light. Um, Cause if you just left it up to the auto instincts of the camera, you, you there's going to be a lot of errors. Yeah. I mean, it's, technically it can even start to distort colors and things like that you know as it's as it moves around with color balance if everything's on auto so i shoot everything manually um because i want full control you know over over the colors and stuff like that i mean obviously depending on what camera you use you're always going to have a little bit of a variation in color um but you want to try and get as true as true to it as you can but if you start using things with auto um what's it like uh, auto um what's it called oh color balance that's it auto color balance and stuff depending on what's happening in the background it can start to shift it to try and adjust um because you know it's just trying to adjust to what has been taught basically and then that can shift your color and the hues across the the miniature immensely um to the point that it just it's unusable i think um and it can frustrate people i think well not only that so you have the Duncan Road paints there. So if you start getting color shifting in any of the paint lines, it's like, hey, I paid for this painting academy. You showed me these using these paints. My object does not look like yeah. the object you painted. So just what I do is free. You get what you pay for. You guys are charging. So you've got to bring that next level of quality there of saying what I show you is what you're going to end up with yeah. there. So there, you guys put a little extra attention to care on we, demonstrating. We do. We do. We, we, it's it's important to us to make sure that you know, as long as it's it's clear and concise and it looks like it's, you know, professional as it were, then then we're, um, <laughs> we're happy. You know, um, as long as it, just as long as the tuition comes across clearly, then we're, you know, we're we're stoked. Well, let me ask you how since you are a partnership and each one of you has a specialty. So let's say average work week, you start on Monday. Um, what's the workflow? Because I've, I've found, so I have a job where it's very self-directed and people think, oh, that's great. That's freedom. So no, that's worse because you have to have the self-discipline to say, okay, at Monday at this time, I'm going to get up, I'm going to get this done because there's no manager standing above you and saying, Duncan, Roger, get in the studio right now. And by Friday, have a video. You've got to do it on your own. Yeah. And none of you is the manager of the other. So it's got to be, none of you can have a bad day. So yeah. how does that process work between you? Um, well, I suppose uh, we should say that Monday starts, uh, starts with filming, doesn't it? Um, so Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday are our filming days. And, um, We'll begin by doing our introduction uh, pieces and then our outros as well. Um, and then we'll get into actually filming the content that we're doing for that week. And this can be anything like three videos. I mean, there has been a week we did four. Um, might just be one where it goes over multiple days, which is what we did this week where we were painting the um, uh, the new Rogal Dawn tank. Um, so it depends on the complexity of the model. Um, but whilst I, we'll do our shots and work our way through it and I'll be actually there painting it. And whilst I'm painting it, Roger is meanwhile on the computer and you'd have a whole host of tasks there, don't you, Roger? Yeah, loads of different things, um, depending what it is day to day. Um, mm. Oh, wow, it could be anything. 
um, emailing, um, editing, intros, um, doing sorting out photos for Instagram. Um, yeah, loads of right. things, right? I mean, of course, can't it? <laughs> yeah, the, the the running of the business day to day, almost. You know, mm. um, fortunate enough that you know we we got to the point where um, my wife can come and help us out. So she takes care of a lot of the stuff that would really slow us down, you know, so we thankful for that. So, yeah. um, or else it just, as anyone knows who runs a, a small business, uh, you know, that stuff can take some time. So we're quite lucky that we have that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's almost jumping literally from one part to the other all the time, isn't it? So mm -hmm. from the desk to do Duncan, sort that out, then back to my desk to do editing and then back to Dunk to go and film the next shot and, or done preparing it and films it or whatever. And then he carries on painting that stage. You're ready for the next stage, come back and film, try and edit and try and be efficient. And then um, once you're finished filming and everything like that, on, on a Thursday, I normally come back into the studio. Dunk works from home because he's going to be building a um, building the miniature for the next week, planning the scripts for that, um, doing the newsletter and stuff. And then I'll continue to finish off editing here. I'll do all the photos or do the paint list, the um, reference gallery shots. Um, then we've got to watch the video too, which just takes time. You've got to render it out and upload it and build a website for that day or YouTube for that Friday or whatever. Um, so, yeah, and then the weekends and then it starts again on the Monday. So we, we quite, we're quite busy from Monday to Friday. You know, um, we're probably at capacity, I think, almost. Yeah, um, yeah. In what we do. We have to be flexible as well though, yes. as jobs. Like so, for example, um, next week we're planning on doing the new Angron model, and uh, that's only released on Saturday, which means um, we've got it pre-ordered and everything, so it will arrive on Saturday. Um, then I need to build it, and a model of that complexity is going to take a number of hours to get together. Um, at which point, I then have to study it and then go back to the plan that I will be writing tomorrow. Um, because when you build the miniature, you always suddenly start to get an understanding of what's going on that you can't get from pictures. And so you're like, oh, okay, so I need to restructure that. I can see this thing. I need to think about this sub-assembly. And then it all suddenly becomes much more um, detailed. Um, and so, you know, we just have to be able to jump around, don't we? It's yeah, just out of necessity. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that creates a real planning challenge since you don't actually have like a staff, a planning staff there of where you probably have a whiteboard and down the left are different projects you want to create. And then you'd have to create a materials list for each one of those products. And then you have your calendar spread out to the right. And what you've described is an interlocking waterfall effect. But then the Angron model comes out. So they're better than, than what they used to be. But like Games Workshop used to be, oh, yeah, by the way, a new demon's coming out this weekend. Make sure to pick <laughs> it up. Like, oh, my we were halfway through filming. I'm halfway through editing, but <laughs> we've got to be first with this model. So yeah. like drop everything. Remember where you were because we got to come back, but drop up everything. And like, Hey, Saturday at noon, Duncan's going to be cutting and filing. And I've got to get the materials together for this list, even though you don't know what the model's going to look like. So I hope we have those paints on hand. So yeah. That stuff does happen. It it really happened quite a bit in the lead up to Christmas last year, um, because workshop yeah. they they suddenly started bringing out such erratic things, didn't they? Like all they did, yeah. completely different subjects, but all of them were big releases. So we're like, uh, the members want to see it, so we're like jumping between all these things. And we had a plan, and that plan's like, right, forget that. We got <laughs> we got to do all these things now. <laughs> 
but but as a small business, doesn't that become disruptive at a certain point? Do you ever see yourself going to like a Leonardo da Vinci, like um, a workshop of like five underpainters? Like, okay, get the models <laughs> to this point so I can have them. Um, I don't think so. I mean, we're we're very flexible. Um, so because we know each other so well um, and we understand each other's roles, um, we can jump around. And uh, when a model comes along, Roger can certainly predict what sort of thing I'm going to be wanting to do for it. And he understands how long it probably will take us to do. Um, how long it'll take me to paint it. So um, it doesn't destroy us whenever something like that happens. I mean, it's like midweek, if you find that you've got to change the subject of, say, the third video that you're going to shoot. And so I've got to go home on, you know, choosing night to replan it and everything and get a different model and stuff. Sure, things like that are a bit of a pain, but it, it happens. And it's just part of running a small business. I mean, really, though, to be side, fair. Oh, sorry. Yeah, it is rare. It really it's happens. Rare. Yeah, it doesn't happen okay. often. Exactly, exactly. But then on the flip side, it means that, you know, um, if you need to do something for half a day on a Friday, um, that's cool because we can work around it and just rearrange what we need to do. So it's um, there's freedom, huge freedom, but there's also responsibility to make sure that your part is done on time. Well, how about with something like the Rogaldorn or the um, any of the larger demons or Primarchs there? On your side, Roger just as when you're creating the shoot schedule and the shoot layout, you have to readjust um, the cameras, the diffusers, the lights, because Duncan's going to be going from working with, say, a standard tactical space Marine to like, you know, an eight foot, eight inch. I'm sorry. I can't yeah, do that trick you, right you, now. Yeah. You just, you just adapt quickly. It doesn't take long. It's a couple of minutes, you know, and like I say we've done, we've done it for so long. Um, it's, it's relatively easy to, to work out now um the bigger challenge will come be in 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 the future when you know duncan have some great plans to do some really big stuff um so that's going to be fun as well because you know part of part of the thing i like is you know develop trying to develop an efficient way to try and do something so um i think we we're looking forward to doing something like that um you won't say any more about but yeah you know. <laughs> <laughs> that's some right. big things you want to do you know <laughs> that we've never ever got close to doing well, you know, speaking of big things, let's focus on this second wave Kickstarter here. Now, last time I talked to you, Duncan, you'd done your first tranche of colors, and now there's this expansion on the line. Um, so when this video comes up, will be the, like the last day. So everyone who's going to bought it has probably bought it. But what were your, your thoughts or your input into expanding the line? Because I believe there's a couple new washes and glazes not speed paints not mm. contrast but glazes glazes your whole yes. new triptychs there so what were your thoughts process behind the new paints because i'm still waiting for asthma day to release even the first wave like the in-store um mm. rack mm -hmm. that we discussed and you know time is pressing because other paint companies are trying to seize that store space but <laughs> Yeah, send an email to Asmodee if you want. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it was uh, it was really exciting to do it because um, so this again is a thing um, that both Roger and I worked on together. And when we were first approached about this and we worked out how we thought a range could be set out, um, we knew that the first sixty paints. Um, I, I mean, like there was a time it was going to be less than that, but having sixty paints as a paint range, if you're trying to make it. Um, 
flexible and that you can paint most stuff with it those spaces become highly competitive as to what you can have and so some of the paints have to do double duty sometimes you have to mix things and you end up with you know there's holes and things in the range that you you would like to be able to fill but we knew that all going well we'd be able to expand it now the second 60 are the ones that we always really envisioned being there at the start as well so with them all together what you end up with is a completely comprehensive range with which you can basically paint anything aside from very specific color schemes you know when you want a very particular color um and uh well with the how good the first ones turned out to be you know with the quality of them and <laughs> we knew that the second ones were going to be the same sort of thing so it's been really exciting and um uh, <laughs> we've been looking forward to it um because we are able to, you know, to like get right in there in the guts of it, weren't we, Roger? Be able to yeah. like change the colors, alter the properties, things like that. And then when the first one came out, we had feedback of people saying, oh, could you do this kind of color? What about this? Would, would this be possible? And so we were able to take that feedback on board and then introduce it into Wave 2 and make a few adjustments and things and add some things to it. Um, so it's uh, it's been a long process of getting it um, all, you know, greenlit and completed and everything like that. But it's awesome that it's happening now, especially because um, the first wave are being manufactured now in the UK. It means that the second ones are essentially the same process, just different colours. So um, it, it's uh, I think it's a much smoother process happening now. It's it's all going on. Yeah. These the paints are now appearing, you know, in Europe and the UK, and they're getting around and stuff. And Seems yes, they will be in North America. Yeah. Oh, sorry, sorry, Roger. Soon to be in the US. <laughs> yeah yeah they're on the way like the stuff exists it's just a, it's just a matter of a little bit more time that's all <laughs> well i i am looking forward to glazes being more readily available on the market so mm. roger when you were filming duncan painting the glazes the one that stuck out to me was the lava power sword yeah, yeah. the orange and that one what you can do with a glaze of yellow over that um which i think with the push to speed paints it's like Glazes were always a higher end of way of doing things, but when they got thickened down and turned into contrast, it became like, well, here's, I don't want to say dumbing down, but here's a simpler way. Like, let's yeah, it's an alternative. I mean, the, the thing with um, the contrast paints was, you know, we were there in the early days of the development in our GW days and stuff. And, um, you know, the idea behind it was simply to be a base coat and a wash in once was the simple, you know, the very most basic form that you put a, a white thing on and you, you almost have your base coat and wash at once. Then you can go in afterwards and layer up if you want to, or you can go in edge highlight and you've got a miniature. And it was, again, speed paint was designed to get miniatures on the table quickly. Um, and in that aspect, they were, because now other companies have followed suit, you know, Army Painter have their speed paint and Vallejo, I think it's Vallejo had Express Color, you know, so it's a thing that people are um, are following. So yeah, it's it's... It's exciting to see, you know, I think where paints are going or where we could go. Well, that that's the thing, but with the push to like everyone to do this speed paint contrast, everyone took away their glaze line. It's like, yeah, but I still yeah. wanted glazes. Mm -hmm. Like there's two contrasts <laughs> that I like, but that doesn't mean you had to destroy 60 glaze colors <laughs> to, mm -hmm. to give me those 60 contrasts there. So I appreciate just having that alternative on the market. Yeah. But, you know, with this, are we going to see a Kickstarter 3? Are there any other places that you feel the, the colors haven't been pushed or the washes haven't been pushed? I mean, I can see room for the glazes, but is there any place else you want to push the colors? 
Well, it, there's, it, there's always potentially new colours, isn't there, Roger? Yeah, but, uh, yeah. but yeah, sorry, go on. Sorry, so choosing the first 60 colours was quite difficult, as Dan said, you know, um, you've got to choose your, your foundation set, really. This is, you can paint 70% of what you want in the style that we do. You can, you can kind of paint nearly anything with it. Um, and then it was choosing the next 60 colours, which was quite difficult, I think, because there's so many places you can go. Um, and we felt there was a few things that we wanted to add in that maybe were missing. We know um, glazes was one of them. Um, we just love the idea of having glazes again. Um, and simply because, you know, we, we know that people, you know, love perhaps painting their Chaos Warriors silver and adding a blue glaze over them to get or adding a red glaze over them, you know, to get corn or whatever. Um, adding it to weapons for a very, very simple magical effect. Um, just things like that was great. And they're not as strong, obviously, as contrast paints. And they you know, they, they have their properties. They glaze. They're a color filter. Um, and especially something like the Molten Sword or something like that. And, you know, we, we decided to show that because one of our – grabbed a miniature from one of our old videos we did. I think it was painting on the Power Swords videos. And uh, we just stuck the yellow glaze on it. And it just – it just makes it pop, you know, it's, 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 it has a vibrance to it. And we just felt that was something we wanted to, you know, we, we kind of insisted, didn't we, Don't do we, we really like six glazes in this one. Yeah. Um, and we were like, cool, do whatever you guys want. So we're like, all right, we want six glazes. So you know, we went to our favorite colors with it and, and, you know, there you go. Six nice glazes. Mm -hmm. All right. So I'll ask the question here. So I think last time around, Duncan, we talked about, getting new painters in, especially like young painters. And I've gone through the store um, with people and said, here's the starting paint sets. So we've seen whiz kids have this, like their little paint kits, get a model and paint kits, battle techs coming out with that. So I'll leave you the challenge of, if you had to pick uh, two washes, a glaze and five of your regular paints, what would they be like? Where are the ones like if I had to go with a parent and say, "There's the Duncan Rhodes paint rack." Mm -hmm. Here's absolute, the colors. Like, okay. Well, for an absolute beginner, if there's going to be two washes, it would have to be Batman Wash and Oblivion Black Wash because the brown and black. Um, and so washes you use them all the time. You know, when yeah. you, you get them, it's like it just makes them so much better when as soon as you put that wash on. And by far, those two colors are the most popular. Um, or the most useful, I should say, because um, you'll use them on basically every miniature you ever paint. Um, now, uh, when it comes to the glaze, if it's a beginner, someone getting right into it, I mean, the yellow glaze is nice for adding a pop to things. I think out of all of them, that's perhaps the most fun to you, the most general, you know, just getting that brightness on things. Um, but for a beginner, they'd be better off actually getting some of the more regular paints, I think, to have a bit more of a, a base to then take off to and then pick up the glazes later. Um, and what I would recommend would be something like Death Reaper, which is an off black. Um, I would go for Surcoat Silver, which is our like sort of deeper silver color. Um, I would go for Dragon's Gold, which is a nice sort of warm gold color. And then for the remaining three, it would depend on what sort of army they're painting. So if they're doing, say, for example, Space Marines, you want to pick their armor color. You want to go for that. You want to get a highlight for it. And then you'll want to pick out something for their secondary color, like the color of their eyes or something like that. So, um, yeah, so those last three, I would keep malleable based on what they're doing. So yeah. I think where I was going with that is in like the Citadel line, like mm. Mephiston Red. So mm. no matter what, I take that out of the P3 Signar Blue base. 
I mm. love their blue and army painter mummy robes white. It's mm. a little off white, but great coverage. Mm. So let's just say um, three paints out of your line that you say these paints right out here, I'll put um, any situation head to head, any other paint. These are the mm -hmm. three paints that I think would stand out. Like if you're a Vallejo only painter, you'll want my this color. Okay. Um, in that case, I would say all of our metallics. Um, they're, really? okay. Yeah, we're really proud of them. They're really, really good. Um, so the, the chemist chap who um, was working on us with the paints, he had a, a new idea that he wants to experiment with. And off he went, he went and he came back. And um, whilst we you know, tweaked the color a little bit, um, the formula he created uh, is incredible. And um, so it, it's hard to describe it. Um, I just encourage anyone, if you don't believe me, just pick up a bottle of Circuit Silver or Dragon's Gold or Glistening Gold or any of these and just have a go and you'll understand immediately what I mean in that they cover really well and really quickly and they're very smooth and they're really shiny. Um, they're, just, they're just lovely metallic paints. Um, and uh, <laughs> so all of those, I think, are quite large standouts. Um, now, as for the the regular colours, uh, I mean, there's loads of great ones there. Um, Skulker Yellow is a really good one. So this is like a sort of sunbursty sort of yellow. Um, it's got very good coverage properties. Considering it's a yellow, okay. I mean, yeah. don't get me wrong. Like, That's always a challenge. Straight over, yeah, yeah, yeah. Paint it straight over black. It's not going to take to it like in one coat and be like bright yellow. You'll have to do maybe two or three. But it will happen at a pace that's... Uh, much more rapid in its coverage than what people will expect and it'll end up much much smoother too um i think our emerald green is a great standout as well um because that sort of green i've often find very frustrating and that it can be really thin and just doesn't coat very well so when we were developing the range that was one paint in particular that i was really keen to make sure did what i always wanted this kind of paint to do um so that it doesn't appear really watery and uh, when you put it on but also sort of thick and tacky you know ours Again, it just covers really nicely, and I think it will surprise people when they try it for the first time. Um, I also think Doom Death Black is um, a really, really, really good black. It covers, again, very well. Uh, it doesn't show up brush marks. Um, a key thing about our paint range is that people will find that they're um, very smooth, and there is a reason for that because of the ingredients that go into it. Um, and uh, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, basically what it comes down to is really high quality ingredients. And um, trust me, as soon as you start painting with some of these paints, you'll notice it immediately. And one of the gratifying thing about um, since the all the Kickstarter sets went out, um, so before when the Kickstarter was running, the original one, um, people would ask me what makes these paints good, and I was trying to explain these things that are sort of intangible. I can't say like it's a nice color or anything <laughs> like that. It's like you've got to you've got to use it, and you'll see what I mean. And we've had so many people, haven't we, Rog, saying that they started yeah. using the paints and they're like, I now immediately know what you mean. Um, we, we had a, uh, so there was a studio from Frontline, a uh, studio painter from Frontline Gaming who sat in with one of our painting classes and he was painting an Imperial Fist Space Marine just having a go with our paints. And what was really fun was audibly hearing his reactions to how the paint behaved when he didn't at all expect it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I think that was the importance of your, um, intro video on the second uh kickstarter roger i'm spe specifically thinking of you primed a cape white mm -hmm. and then you put a blue over it and so with the the depth of field you're able to capture that the paint going over the white didn't separate so even uh -huh. though it was thinned down you didn't see 
the separation of the paint pull away and then the white come out of the edge. So it's like, okay, I can see that this will glide on smoothly, but not separate, like pull apart, yes. requiring a second coat. And of course, okay, two thin coats. Um, but there's that issue <laughs> when you're trying to cover, especially with the base with the primer, if you blend, if you thin it down wrong, you're going to need more coats, and that yeah, always leads to the issue of tearing. Because if the paint goes on too thick or dries at a different rate than what you're prepared at, it, you can get brush strokes or brush marks and tear yeah. at the yeah. paint. Yeah, it's um like as like Duncan has been saying, you know, we're 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 immensely proud of the paint range. It's um we were quite a long time on it um going back and forth with the with the team at you know transatlantic games i'm um, telling them what we want and they would send us arranged samples to be sent from the chemists and we'd we'd tell them how we wanted to change to this and change to that and um you know dunk dunk was also very specific in what he wanted like he's talking about the green and he worked on that for quite some time because he knew what he what greens we've used in the past where they where they kind of fail maybe or they make it a bit more tougher to paint and you can get frustrated and we didn't want to have that um and one of the things we you know we have in our paints is a really high level of leveling agent you know um which is quite an expensive part to put in the paint but the results speak for themselves you know if you've used a de as death reaper or doom death black or the white or anything like that white star um you'll, you'll know you'll see it you know it's um it's quite weird, you know. We we're fortunate enough, Duncan, that we've used all different paints over over a long period of time, and you, you, it's quite difficult now to go back to some of the others when you've used these because they they spoil you a bit. I think. <laughs> well, let let's talk about before our time runs up here. Let's talk about what you got coming up um, on the channel, or if there's anything I missed, this is your time to uh, throw in. But um, I did love your rust effects video. Um, right. I'm a big <clears throat> I'm a big Necromunda player. So to see your five different takes and each take with a different paint line, I have to admit, I never thought about getting Vallejo powders till I saw that then let the powder dry or you'll get yeah. fingerprints in it. So love that video. Love the comparisons, like the side-by-sides of the different takes and effects. So we got Angron coming up. Anything else yet coming up on the channel before we sign off here? Anything else you want to throw out there? Um, well, one, one of the things we, we like to do is, um, you know, we often get approached by smaller studios, you know, to, hey, will you paint one of our miniatures and stuff? And it gets quite difficult at times because you can't always help them as much as you want to. But um, we have got a small company named Moonstone. They, they oh, yes, I've heard. Yeah. quite whimsical, whimsical fantasy and stuff from um, lots of characters so we're quite excited to do one of those um we're going to push it push the boundaries a little bit on that one i think um what else we've got i guess we've got some a fun, two stuff yeah. fun video uh about guard that's going yes. to uh uh riff off my um extremely dorky uh hobbies <laughs> <laughs> that'll be fun um we uh we so this year we do have some quite big things planned which we can't really you know we don't want to spoil the surprise um but we're going to be taking our offering on the website um to another level is the goal isn't it Raj? yeah like yeah. um of making things have um a bit more depth to it um and remembering who 
really our target audience is and helping them you know helping them get into it gain confidence that sort of thing um and leading off from this there are other big things beyond that that we're going to be able to do so um stay tuned i guess (laughs) well i mean (laughs) at, at a certain point as your audience as your business matures and you have all this built up content you will have to adapt right because your original first wave of audience are you holding their attention like yeah are they the same people but then you have to bring in new audience as some of your older members split out so i think that's where i was going is like either have to get more advanced or more speedier in your paints like how to grind out an army faster or how to get that demon brush or these are new paints coming out so but if you're always chasing that tail Hmm. then you start losing the focus of your channel so i don't think necessarily you want to um i think just moving on to um doing as you say like just high end or just speed painting i think that's a bit of a trap to think of it as like a linear progression have Um, you already mastered the middle ground though um, no, I don't think so. So every model has got its own quirks and takes and things like that. And um, there's always people who are coming into it who see these things and they don't really see how they can connect the pieces for it, in particular large models and things. And there's always going to be these new large models coming out. So there's always definitely going to be room for doing um, tabletop standard, solid, simple stages, follow these and you get results. And we know that people like that kind of thing because they've told us that shows, you know, they, they like that they can look at how, look at the colors we use in a video, look at the order we do it, look at the techniques we do it. And they know that they can just follow that and they're going to get a great result. So there's always room for this sort of thing. Now that said, that doesn't mean that you should ignore these other things that are around it. Like, as you say, speed painting and more advanced things. So um, absolutely. Yes, we will do more content on that. And we have done a bit of it already in that we, um, we've done these techniques videos on particular things like doing more higher end flesh, for example, um, doing techniques like wet blending and non-metallic metals. But what it might mean is that occasionally we'll do a video where we paint character miniature with things like non-metallic metals in there and do it in a different approach. But if we were to then just do that forevermore, I think we'd lose the audience uh, or what we do because our audience is actually a really large part of the hobby and it can be easy to fall into the trap of thinking that everyone is wanting to be top tier painter and that's just not true and people like to see how that sort of thing's done but most people really want to be able to paint an army that they're proud of that looks great on the tabletop and that's kind of the our poor thing isn't it roger there's all these elements around it that we definitely want to make that you know touch on and go into and explore and things like that but um we always want to make sure that we remember who we are and what we do the the videos you know have always been designed that you'll always learn something from it so if you imagine you're painting um i don't know uh, let's say an, a Nurgle Space Marine, for instance. You know, might not paint Nurgle, but you can use some of those effects to, you know, put on vehicles, for instance, to paint the undead, uh, to put on an Infinity Miniature if you choose, or War Machine, or whatever. You know, um, you you can you can easily go and use enamel rust effects on on anything. Um, there's it's it's always what we try and aim to do, and I think you know people are aware of that. They might look at a miniature and go, you know, oh, I can take all of that, and I know how to do that, and I'm going to apply that to uh, captain or i'm going to apply it to a vehicle or i'm going to apply it to something you know um so we are always conscious of that, that there's always something in there that you can apply to something else 
Mm-hmm. You know, um, you can, of course, follow it along if you wish, by all means. But, you know, you, you also can take what you've learned from that and apply it to pretty much anything you want is the idea. And, you know, people have done that. Maybe they've, you know, they've come to us and said, oh, I followed this miniature, but I didn't paint it. I used those techniques on this one. And you can see they've used it on their miniature and it looks great. And they're really happy with it. So, you know, we consider that um, successful, I guess. All right. You know, I I think I could keep on going back and forth about your business model and paints here, but <laughs> let's go ahead. I've, I've already overrun time um, that I promised. So let's just give uh, the last word uh, to you, Duncan, then to you, Roger. Like anything else you want to throw out, like how to find you, um, well wishes, happy dreams. Um. Appreciate so Roger think, coming down from the mountain and like reviewing yeah. that. <laughs> um, I think uh, firstly, I'd like to say thanks to everybody who supported us along the way um, and allowing us to, um, I suppose, live our dream really of being able to do our own thing and enjoy this hobby so much. Um, and, you know, to all you people who uh, back the Kickstarter, both the first and the second one, um, really hope that you like your paints. Um, and to everyone who's um, you know followed the YouTube channel and joined the site. Um, now the the main our main home on the internet is our website, which is at DuncanRose.com. Uh, that's this membership website that's full of hundreds of painting tutorial videos that explain techniques and particular miniatures and new ideas and things like that. Um, if you're looking to learn to paint miniatures, then it's um, we're trying to make the best resource you could possibly want. And there's lots of other features on there around that, including a forum where people can chat about it. We do competitions. We've got reference galleries showing all the different miniatures up in detail and things like that um you can also find us on youtube um our channel is duncan Rhodes painting academy where you can see the sort of content that we make which we upload to every few weeks um we also have an instagram which is uh duncan j Rhodes, where we post lots of nerdy things you know <laughs> miniatures we're painting and things like that um so those are the main places to find us i think um but i guess the the main thing as i say is uh thanks to everyone who supported us uh Anything I missed, Rog? No, I think that about sums it up. I think it is just a big thank you to um, you know everyone that's you know backed us, supported us, subscribed, um, you know, left a comment on YouTube or on Instagram or whatever. You know, mm-hmm. it's just um, and, and and for backing the Kickstarters too. I mean, that took us by surprise. You know, we had no idea. It was quite scary going into it, but you know, it, it did its thing, and you know, we still a bit um, taken aback, I think, and surprised and humbled by it. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, we just want now, now the next thing is just want people to get the paints in their hands and hopefully they can enjoy using them. Mm. I think it's the next set, the next stage. And well, just again, massive, massive thank you. Well, I'm yeah, sure everyone's yeah, we, everyone's excited uh, to get them. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, the two of us, we right, live in the dream, right? Well, <laughs> we get to, um, uh, I, I think it's, it's a really, um, Running your own business is a scary thing, and there's, there's stresses in it that are different to working for somebody else. Uh, but at the same time, it's really wonderful to be doing your own thing, isn't it? And yeah. we're lucky to be able to work together in the way that we do. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's really nice. Yeah. Well, gentlemen, thank you for joining me on this podcast and explaining like your uh, forays into the far western mountains of the United States into the, the high <laughs> deserts there um, and going over some of the paints and the business models. I'm sure everyone listening enjoy it and really do enjoy a lot of the content you put together. And I think people need to realize that it is a two man job. Like those, those videos do not make themselves. There's, there's a specialty behind it. So for everyone out there, uh, go check out uh, Duncan Rhodes painting Academy, at least check out the YouTube site, get a like, follow it. Always some good stuff on there. 
And gentlemen, I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Thank Thank you. Um, all right, so we'll begin. Let me get my English breakfast tea. So, oh, oh, marvelous, but no milk. You know, that's a bridge too far for me. Like, <laughs> the, the doctor said I had to cut back on the uh, caffeine. Uh-huh. So, I was like, uh, but no, cream, cream and tea just as <laughs> well. Okay, well, so sugar and tea, don't. Mm, yeah, yeah. Roger was making uh, teas yesterday morning, and twice he went, went to put sugar in. I'd say, as we were talking, he was absent-mindedly doing. It. <laughs> I, I, I will be the kind of guy I am. I just watched and let him do it. <laughs> and then he told me afterwards. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, I have seen enough of the British comedies. I don't understand the joke about who makes tea in the office, like whose job it is. And then I watched that and like, that's not how you make tea. They're pouring stuff in it and like, it's just bag and water and there you're done. <laughs> well, it's an art. It's an art. Yeah. It's an art. Yeah. <laughs>